Uh, Today our text comes from Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We We thank you for the truth of it. Lord, we thank you for the spiritual gifts that you have given to each of us. Lord, we we confess that the gifts are a mystery, that, that your Spirit empowering us to do things beyond our own ability, both natural and supernatural, are sometimes even scary to us. But always, Lord, uh, we are grateful that you were with us, that you are empowering us. And in that vein, Lord, I I pray that uh, as Ryan exercises his gift of teaching this morning, I pray, Lord, that that his words would permeate our hearts and our minds, that your spirit would illuminate them, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would leave here transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're in a series of messages that we're calling As You Go. And um, this, the, the impetus for this is um, out of the Great Commission, uh, which when you read it in the original language, it says, as you go, make disciples. And, and what we see happening in the book of Acts is as the apostles and disciples are going, being led by the Spirit, uh, they make disciples. And uh, there's some everyday, ordinary parts of life that are involved in the book of Acts. It's not all supernatural and and uh, it's not all mundane either. It's just life uh, happening and the gospel advancing. One of my best friends is a church planter in Lexington, Kentucky, and he's planting a church uh, right on the University of Kentucky's campus. Go Cats! And uh, it's not basketball season, so you guys don't, you don't care anyway. But I'm a Kentucky fan. Uh, there it is. Okay, It's the humility of God on my life. But um, um Anyway, he planted this church several years ago, and, and about a year ago, um, another church came along with them, and they merged, and the, uh, so now they have this situation where it's like a, a two-pastor kind of church. Uh, there's, there's, there's a co-pastor situation there, uh, one Andrew, one Kurt, and uh, Kurt uh, has a more uh, expressive, charismatic bent, okay, you, you following me? Uh, and then Andrew has, uh, he expresses... Uh, the charisma of the Spirit in, in just a different way, a unique way, not quite as expressive as Kurt. And so he overheard this conversation happening at a coffee shop in, in downtown uh, Lexington one day. And, and they get all these college kids that come through. Uh, and this particular, uh, th- this particular kid had come out of a charismatic, uh, you know, Pentecostal church. And, and he was talking to his parents on the phone at the coffee shop. And, and, and Andrew overhears it, and he goes, no, Mom and Dad, I'm going to this new church. It called, it's called Commonwealth City Church. And, and, and yeah, it's kind of a Baptist church, but, but, but get this. One of the pastors is actually down with the Holy Spirit. And my, my friend is listening to this, and he's like, he's thinking on the inside, he's like, is, I'm the one that's not down with the Holy Spirit? I mean, come on, right? 
It's, uh, it's funny, I get, a, I get a chuckle, but the Holy Spirit, that's what we're after today. Um, because we won't be down with the Holy Ghost, right? So if you've got a Bible, why don't you open up to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, uh, this week I was talking to Roman, who's my four-year-old, and, and he was trying to get, I asked him who God was, we were grilling out, out back, and, and he said, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Ghost. It was good. It was good. So Acts chapter 1, the reason I want to I start here is I want you uh, and myself to, to see what's going on in the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts is part of a two-part volume that this Gentile doctor named Luke uh, wrote. Uh, he wrote the book of Luke, which is an account of the life and works of Jesus with his disciples. And here he, he kind of rewinds a little bit and he says what's going on in the first volume and what the second volume is going to entail. So here's what it says in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He says this, in, in, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, the Gospel of Luke, uh, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands. And listen to how he gave those commands. Through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he's setting the book of Acts up like this, saying, hey, look, this is where I left off, and here's where we're picking up. He's picking up with the apostles and disciples being led by the Holy Spirit and the church finding its foundation and birth in light of that. Now, so who has the Holy Spirit is the question. On Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the Scriptures tell us that anyone who believes in Jesus is sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, we're at kind of the, the crux of when this is beginning to happen in the book of Acts. And, and anyone who has the Spirit, the, the Scriptures then showed, receive gifts of the Spirit. So, so here's where I want to go today with this kind of bizarre passage of Scripture. So I was looking at the story of Agabus, and it just didn't let me go. We've got to do something with the gifts of the Spirit, the ones that even don't make sense to us, right? We've got, we got to delve in, we've got to see what the Word says and we got to trust God. So here's the big idea of where we're going today. The Spirit gives gifts that build up and unify the fractured people of God. Let me say that one more time. The Spirit gives gifts that build up and unify the fractured people of God. So let's dig in. The first point is this. The people of God are fractured. If we were to go back uh, into Genesis chapter 11, well, Genesis 3, you see the fracture of the fall when when uh, man rebels against God, but it becomes really apparent through the pages of Genesis. Genesis 11, there's this, there's this instance of uh, in, this, in, the, in the city of Babel where the brokenness of the people of God is really revealed in a corporate setting. I mean, so you've got this brokenness revealed where the people of God uh, begin uh, to, to make a way to, to kind of build their self to God by themselves. Genesis 11.4 says this. Here was the mantra of these people. Let us make a name for ourselves. Think about that. Let us make a name for ourselves. Isn't that the heart of every human? We're born desiring to make a name for ourselves. With really no concern for the corporate nature of the people of God or the glory of God, we're concerned with ourselves. And that's manifest in... In, in, in Genesis chapter 11, when the people begin to build this city that, that towers to, to, the, to the sky because they want to build a way to God themselves. It's the story of humanity. 
we are fractured. And this goes on and on and on throughout the Older Testament. God's people, He sends, he sends prophets, He sends kings. He manifests Himself, He reveals Himself, He instructs the people in many different ways. But the bottom line is this, the people of God are fractured. And in the, the Older Testament, between the Older Testament and the New Testament, there's this gap of about 400 years called the intertestamental period. And in that, the people of God don't really hear from God at all. And then John the baptizer comes on the scene and he begins to say, prepare yourselves, make. You need to, you need to go through this baptism of repentance. You need to, to repent from your sin, to turn, to confess your sin so that you can be prepared for the coming King. And then you see at the end of Luke chapter 24 that that God's people are called to wait for the Spirit. So there's this promised wholeness that God's people um, receive. And, and Jesus comes with this, with this plan and this power to make all things new. This is where Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 45 through 49 kind of leave off. He says, hey, God tells them to, for the disciples and the apostles to wait in the city until they receive power from on high. So they say, okay, now I'm, I'm raised from the dead. Okay, but here's the first thing you need to do. Wait. you got to wait. You can't get about my business without my power. You can't build the kingdom without my gifts. And so we see the day in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, where, where the Spirit falls upon man. And they receive gifts and they speak in different tongues. And you know what is beginning to happen here is that Babel, the damage of Babel is beginning to be undone through the coming of the Holy Spirit because God is making His people whole. Now, is it perfect there? No, because then you have the book of 1 Corinthians, Ephesians. you got all these books dealing with these heresies and people that are just way off the rails in the church. But they have the Spirit and the promised wholeness of God carrying them to completion. And that's where we pick up with the Spirit and His gifts. So number two, the Spirit has been sent to build up and unify the fractured people of God. So how does He do this? He begins by giving us new hearts. They're, they're promised in Ezekiel 36 and 37 that, that he'll, put, he'll replace the, the heart of stone that we're born with with the heart of flesh that's circumcised in heart that actually loves God and wants to follow God and wants to obey Him. He gives us this new heart. And what begins to happen is the Holy Spirit begins to trade out the Babylonian hearts for the, the Pentecost hearts, right? Where we begin to say, not let us make a name for ourselves, but let us make His name great. Just what the Holy Spirit begins to do in us. And He gives us gifts and power to make the name of Jesus renowned throughout all the earth. To bring Him much glory. And that's what you begin to see happening in the book of Acts. So I have a question for you before we get any further into this. Are you preoccupied with yourself this week? Because if you are, you're not alone. Me Megan and I have been talking about this, even, even at home, you know, we've struggled with this, that this old Babylonian heart wants to keep beating, right? It wants to try to keep itself alive and try to make a name for itself. Are you preoccupied with yourself this week? But God has sent His Spirit to us, church, to enable us to set ourselves aside and be conformed more to the image of Jesus. And, and when we begin to abandon ourselves to Jesus, what begins to happen is that we begin to get 
filled with all the fullness of God who's in Jesus. That's what the Spirit has come to do in us, to conform us, to mold us, to shape us to the image of Jesus. But this preoccupation with self causes division because everyone is out looking for his own interest. And it's absolutely the antithesis of what the Holy Spirit came to do in the church. The work of the Spirit is to unify the people of God for a common cause. And you know what that cause is? The kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus has come to do. And so all of the acts of the apostles in the book of Acts are the works of Jesus. They're just sent through the Spirit through people. All of the gifts of the Spirit are the gifts of Jesus sent through His people to unify the church. So what is a spiritual gift, you ask? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that. Spiritual gift, here's how we're defining it. It's an unmerited gift given by the Holy Spirit so that every believer can contribute to building up the body of Christ. Let me say it again. It's an unmerited gift given by the Holy Spirit so that every believer can contribute in building up the body of Christ. So now we're going to pick up where our text brought us this week, all right? Let's read Acts 11 to get, get us recentered, and you'll understand why I'm going where I'm going today. Acts chapter 11, 27 through 30 says this. Now, let, let me remind you where we were last week. Last week, we talked about this church that was planted in the city of Antioch, which is the most diverse city the, the world has probably ever known. And the gospel goes forth to the, to the, the non-Jewish Gentiles, and it explodes because some men who we don't even have a name for were willing to share the gospel with people who lived and looked differently than them. And the Holy Spirit took root and the church exploded. And so then the church in uh, Jerusalem, you know, send up Barnabas, this, the most encouraging guy they got in the, in the building to encourage this church because it's probably pretty hard to follow Jesus with a bunch of people who live and look differently. And then Barnabas realizes he's in over his head, so he goes and gets Paul, the grand poopah, down in Tarsus, and they've come back and they, they begin to uh, teach the church for a year. And as this is going on, they report back to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, they send some more gifted people in the Spirit. This is where we pick up. Acts eleven twenty seven through 30 Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine over all the world. And this actually took place in the days of Claudius. So get this, the, the disciples determined, they debated, they thought through what Agabus had said. Everyone according to, and then everyone according to his own ability decided to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So there's this prophecy that takes place, and it's a prophecy of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not, th this guy doesn't have He's not serving in the office of prophet. He's not Isaiah. He's not Jeremiah. He's not Ezekiel. This guy has the gift of prophecy in the church. And as he's there, he just shares, hey, I think God has shared this with me, and I just want to share it with you. And then what do you begin to see the church doing? Well, they say, okay, well, we're not just going to take it for face value. We're going to talk about it. We're going to pray about it. And they became convinced, you know, we think this is true. And so they begin to act on what's been said as they've weighed it, and then they send money. And then, and then Luke writes later, you know, hey, this actually happened in the days of Claudius. 
And so my question as I read this is, what do I do with this? I mean, it makes me uncomfortable to talk about prophecy. It's way easier for me to stuff that in a drawer and say, hey, that was the thing that happened before Jesus came and the age of the church closed the canon and all that kind of stuff. But guys, here's, here's what you're going to discover through what I'm getting ready to tell you. Is that as I've looked into this, and I've prayed through this, and I've consulted with others, I just biblically can't get to this place where I, where I think that the miraculous gifts have ceased. I think they look differently, but I don't think that we can say that they've ceased. Now, maybe some of you have a high opinion on this. That's okay. This is one of those things that we would call a tertiary issue. It's not a deal breaker that splits a church or anything like that. But what I want to do right now is I want to, I want to unpack this for you. Uh, and my purpose in doing this is because I just want to see the church live in all of its fullness. And I pray that you do too. So, you know, here's what we begin to see with what, with what Jesus does when He sends His Spirit is the Spirit gives gifts. Now, how we define spiritual gifts is this, is that it's an unmerited gift that the Holy Spirit gives to you. So I think a lot of times we in the church tend to look at spiritual gifts like, hey, I'm good at this. So it must be a gift, right? I'm good at this. You know, I became a Christian. I've, I've been good with numbers. I've done this. You know, I've got the gift of administration. Well, maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's possible that God gives gifts to His church that they didn't have before to build up the body. And let me, let me just share this. You know, my, my son, um, he likes to build Lego sets. And when he builds Lego sets, um, if he does it all by himself, we get to the end of it and there's like 40 pieces left. And he thinks he's finished, right? He's like, hey, look, I'm finished, right? And I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure the guy that designed the Lego set thought that those 40 pieces should go, you know, on the on the dinosaur that you just built, right? <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, it looks fine to me. Here's what we've done in the church, guys, is, is we, we've taken the parts of the body that don't fit in and we can't explain real well, and they're the extra pieces that get shoved in the drawer. And the danger of this is that we are not built up as the body of Christ as we could be. Here's what I've been convinced of as I've thought through this and I've prayed through this, is that there are no extra pieces in the economy of God's body. Amen? There's no extra pieces. And so we've got to figure out as a church what it looks like to biblically express ourselves so that Jesus can get the most glory through how we live as the family of God. So let's dig in. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we're going to look at, starting in verse 4, we're going to kind of go through verse 16 here. And I, I, want, I want you to see how the gifts are kind of, kind of bestowed here. There's some other passages in the Scripture, 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 14 we'll look at a little bit today and then there's also Romans chapter 12 that talks about giving the gifts of the Spirit so there's lots of different places where we where we look at this and and I'm not convinced that uh, the, even the gifts of the Spirit that are announced in the Scriptures are exhaustive it, any, it, you don't really see anywhere where it's like hey these are the only gifts of the Spirit you don't see that but we get a good picture of how the gifts of the Spirit operate and what they are so Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4 he says there's one body and there's one Spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the purpose of the gifts. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature man. So what's he saying there? Okay, the gifts are given so that we can grow and be built up in Christ until Jesus returns. Because we're not going to reach maturity until we go to be with Jesus or Jesus comes to be with us, right? We're a work in progress. We are maturing. We are being conformed to the image of God. We are being sanctified. So he gives these gifts for that purpose. And um, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and evil and, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, this is what Gordon talked about in his prayer, love infusing all of the gifts of the Spirit. and It's kind of the glue that holds the gifts of the Spirit together in the body. In love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. Into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So this is what is happening through the church, Paul says. And he talks about some specific gifts here. It's not an exhaustive list. He talks about some, some gifts of the Word and how leaders in the church are to, to, to use those gifts to build up the body, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And he, he acknowledges this fact that sin has fractured us because he says Jesus led a host of captives out of captivity. He's led us out of the dominion of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of light. And He hasn't just left us as dirty, rotten sinners you know, out of the kingdom of darkness. He's instead given us new hearts with new gifts to build up this body. And so you, you read things like, like gifts like the, the gift of apostleship. Okay, this is an interesting one, right? Because in 1 Corinthians 9.1, the gift of apostleship says that, the Scriptures say that basically anyone who has seen, who's been called personally by Jesus is an apostle. And it kind of confines what apostleship is to that. And so when we look at apostleship, we say, okay, that gift has been fulfilled. That no longer, that, that office no longer exists, right? Because there were the 12, and then there was the one that Paul said he was born untimely, meaning, hey, y'all, I was blinded on the road to Damascus, and Jesus met me face to face. And so we'll, we'll, you can be an apostle, Paul. We'll let that happen, right? The Scriptures say that. And so we begin to see that that, that gift of apostleship, I'm sorry, that, that office of apostleship uh, is no longer uh, a an, an office in the church. It's no longer part of, of, of the church. And so, and so uh, we don't have apostles anymore. Some churches uh, differ on how they view that, and some churches have apostles. This is why New City Church doesn't think that apostleship is a part of, of kind of the gifts, because it's none of us have met Jesus and been called by Him face to face. And then there are these other giftings that He mentions, and these are done through the influence of the Spirit. And this is what you see even with Agabus, right? I mean, you read this, I had to stop. I said, okay, this guy was a gift. Jesus had ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit had been given. And this guy had the gift of prophecy. What am I going to do with that? And you begin to see that, that, that this is the gift, not the office. The office of prophet, uh, which was what Ezekiel and you know Isaiah and Jeremiah, guys like that held, um, they spoke uh, the, the infallible Word of God. What we begin to see as we look at the, the gift of prophecy in the church, that, that's, that's, it's operating differently. It's functioning differently than it did because now we have to weigh out what Agabus said. Right? We've got to weigh it out. He's not speaking just directly.
directly from God. We've got to hear this and say, does this, does this make sense? Is this of God? Does this contradict the revealed Word of God that we have in the Scriptures? And you begin to weigh it out. So I want to hone in on that a little bit. The gift of prophecy, what is that? The gift of prophecy, this is a quote from Wayne Grudem, the gift of prophecy is a gift from the Holy Spirit that is manifested by telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. The gift of prophecy is a gift from the Holy Spirit that is manifested by telling something uh, something, uh, something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. This is what happens with Agabus. He's there with the brothers. We don't know if he came needing to share this word or he just happened to be going to Antioch and, and he just felt the Lord was, was, was laying that on his heart and he shared it with them and the, the disciples there, they, they kind of said, yeah, we, we think that's from the Lord. Um, and, and so they weigh it out. So um, in the New Testament, uh, we, we see this difference, this shift. And I I'm going to take us to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This isn't going to be on the screen because this, was, this, this came in a little late to the game in the sermon preparation. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip it open to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I think this is a helpful, this is a helpful uh, uh, kind of window for us to look through as we think about the, the kind of the mysterious gifts of the Spirit, the more miraculous gifts of the Spirit that we're kind of tempted to maybe throw out. Or, or we're tempted to say, you know, if you don't have that gift, you're not really a disciple of Jesus. You've not, really, you've not really been baptized in the Spirit if you don't speak in tongues. Or you don't prophesy. Or you don't have the gift of healing. And, and, and I think this is helpful here. This, this, this passage is helpful. He says this, uh, the writer of Hebrews, Long ago and at many times and in many, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So in these, He spoke by the prophets. That was His predominant way of speaking. But we see in Hebrews that there's been a transition. right? There's been this transition that now He speaks through His Son. So the gift of prophecy now comes under how He would speak through His Son. It's not taking the place of that. It's not this special revealed Scripture that goes a part of the canon of Scripture. It's not that He speaks through His Son. And so this means that we, we don't get to go claim uh, something uh, that's outside of the Spirit of Christ, that it's from God. That, that it's no longer really appropriate for us to say, hey, thus saith the Lord, here's what God gave me for you. And the bottom line is, is if it doesn't magnify and reveal Christ to us, it's not from the Lord. So we got this tension here. we got this, this tension is... That it seems like the gift of prophecy is still alive in the church, according to what we read in the Scriptures. But it's different because God has spoken through His Son. And so how do we marry these two together? This is what we're trying to do through this, this teaching uh, here today. Uh, this could mean you know, s- simply something that could, be, that, could, that could be extra, such as like a prosperity gospel, which which says that, that the way that God loves me and favoring me means that I'm, I become very wealthy. And that's how I know God's favor is on my life. But we, we look at that and that doesn't magnify Christ because the life that Jesus led was, was, a, was a man of poverty. You know, he, he was stricken, he was beaten, he was a man of sorrows. He didn't have a place to lay his head. It's not congruent with what is revealed about Jesus. It's a false prophecy. John Calvin says this in the Institutes of the the Christian Religion. He 
says this about prophecy. But in promising it, meaning the Holy Spirit, of what sort did He declare His Spirit would be? One that would speak not from His self, but would suggest to and instill into their minds what He had handed them through the Word. And he, he quotes John 16. We'll look at that in just a second. Therefore, the Spirit promised to us has not the task of inventing new and unheard of revelations or of forging a new kind of doctrine to lead us away from the received doctrine of the Gospel, but rather it's of sealing our minds with that very doctrine with it, which is recommended, I'm sorry, which is commended uh, by the Gospel. So you see this tension that we're experiencing here in John 16 says this, when, when the Spirit, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak in. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So I've written a, just a quick couple sentences here. I want to read this to you to clarify what I'm talking about because I know it might be confusing to you because it's been confusing to me. Um, if you go to that next slide there. The office of prophet is fulfilled in Christ. That's what Hebrews 1 tells us. It's no longer a thing. The gift of prophecy does not carry the same weight as it did before Christ came. People are fallible. Their prophecies can be fallible as well. Using the words, thus saith the Lord, or to speak in the first person as God, would presume upon their position in light of Jesus as the true prophet. You see the difference in what we're talking about here. So in light of that, um, here's what I want to say. I believe that the gift of prophecy will remain useful to the church until Christ returns. I have no reason to look at the Scriptures and to think any differently. With those guardrails, with those guidelines that it magnifies Christ, it doesn't add to the, the canon of Scripture, and it's weighed out by others, right? It, it's useful. God still speaks to his people. There's just the chance that you've misheard God speak, right? God still speaks to us. There's some people that have a theology that say that these gifts have ceased. And here's where they come from. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 predominantly. The Scriptures say this, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. That's where they stop right there. The Scriptures say that they'll, they'll cease. Okay, but when we read the context of it, here's what it says. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes the partial will pass away. So what is the perfect? The perfect is when Jesus comes. When this was written, had Jesus come for the first time? Yes. So when is the perfect? When Jesus comes a second time, right? That's when the perfect is. So, so until then, he goes on to say, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. When uh, um, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now in part, then I shall, full, I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. What he's saying is we don't know everything. And according to this text, when we read it in its appropriate context, we don't see that the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, that they've ceased, right? That makes us a little squirrely as Presbyterians, right? It does. 
And for those of you that come from a Pentecostal or a charismatic bent, it makes you a little happy to hear this guy is down with the Holy Spirit, right? Now, if we're going to be the church, guys, we've got to let the Scriptures guide our doctrine, not our experience. Um, in some circles, I think that people let, let their poor experience or their good experience drive their theology just a little bit too much. You know, I've, I've been in this camp personally before that have said, hey, the Spirit, uh, the, the, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, they're ceased. They're all phony. They're all a bunch of baloney. And I, let me tell you why I was there. It wasn't from anything that I read in here. It was from an experience that I had when I was a senior in high school. I went to this, this church um, in Kentucky, and I was there with my youth group, and someone came up to me and tried to, um, what's called, slay me in the Spirit, to, to kind of press me down so that I kind of signify being overwhelmed by the Spirit. And I'm sure that maybe that's happened to some people and that that's been really authentic and that's been real. It wasn't for me. And so what I saw was someone trying to strong-arm their theology on top of me that I was not, I was not coming along with. And then I began to believe as I talked to these people, began to, they began to tell me that, okay, you're not really born again of the Spirit. You don't have the gift of the Spirit because these things aren't a part of your life. And so I said, you know what, that's it, I'm done. I'm done, I'm throwing it out, I'm done with this. And that was the way I lived for a few years. Um, do the gifts function differently than they did in the apostolic age? I mean, it seems like it, right? It seems, it, it seems like we're not seeing tons of healing, at least in North America. We're not, we're not seeing people raised from the dead, right? And it seems like it, but I can't stand on Scripture and tell you for sure that it is, right? And I can't stand on Scripture and tell you that the gifts are gone. So we, we walk this out. I think sometimes we can let our experience drive our theology positively, meaning, man, I had this great experience, I was at this conference, this song was singing, I mean, you know, the, we were singing the chorus, it felt like, you know, we were just, it was, it was, it was amazing, you know, uh, everybody was singing, it was beautiful, um, and I, I just want to recreate that experience, and if I can't get that experience, then God must not be in it. That's a lot of evangelicalism in Atlanta, Okay? It's founded on experience. Do our feelings come along with our theology? Absolutely, but they don't drive it. Or negatively, I had this really bad experience, like what I just told you, uh, where, where someone tried to speak a word over me and it wasn't true and said, I've thrown the whole thing out. And so that's my theology now. Both of these options are very dangerous because they, they neglect the revealed will of God in the Scriptures. And they only focus on that. And so what we've, got to, what we've got to do, part of what God wants to do in unifying us, and I think I can say this with confidence, is that um, we have a tendency to be, how do I say this, theological snobs, right? Let's let that sit. We, we have a tendency to think it's my way or the highway on things that are not, frankly, 100% clear in the Scriptures. I mean, there are some things that are, but we're talking about things that aren't really 100% clear. And we, we die on those stakes. And in our tribe, as a church, I think there's this real danger to drift toward theological snobbery. And I would say even, even in how we see the gifts of the Spirit, it's an issue that divides the church probably even more than race. And, and you think about this, and, and a lot of times we're letting our experience drive 
uh, our theology. So the question that we have to ask ourselves today is this. Is there any expression of my theology that's theological snobbery? That's better than others? Oh, and you, and you know this is the case because when you hear someone talking, you just kind of look down your nose and you think, what a joker. You know, you just, you, just, you just look down at people that are followers of Jesus and walking with Jesus because they see it a little differently than you. And God has given the gifts of the Holy Spirit to, 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 to root that out in our lives. You know, there's this ten- tendency to say I'm better than you because I know the Bible or I worship a certain way or because I speak in tongues or I raise my hands or, or whatever uh, it would be for you. Or maybe it's, you know, I have the voice of a thousand angels like Brandon Dean. You know, whatever it would be. There's this tendency to think that I'm, I'm better than you because I'm gifted differently than you and your gifts are illegitimate. As my friend Leon says, uh, who's a pastor down in Atlanta, who's one of the guys responsible for us being in Atlanta, he says, you know, He's, he, he describes himself uh, as, a, as a presbymatic, okay? You get what I'm saying? A Presbyterian and a charismatic kind of jam together, presbymatic. He says, you know, here's the deal. He says, all my Presbyterian friends, you need to get excited about what you know. And then, all my charismatic friends, you need to know why you're excited. <laughs> and he says, this is what it's like to let the Spirit live in the body. And, and uh if you've ever had the chance to worship in their body, you would, you would sense that. And it's this, this beautiful thing. So church, is it possible for us to have a robust theology and a joyful expression of that theology? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what it takes? Humility. It takes a lot of humility. Um, and, and New City, um, I think the leadership of this church is releasing you to express yourself in worship. Whatever that may look like. Um, and, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with some real practical things, especially around this idea of prophecy here in just a second. But I, uh, I do want to say this. What we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're running out of time, but prophecy builds up the church. This gift of prophecy that's kind of, that, 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 that says God speaks, but it doesn't contradict His Word, and it doesn't have the same authority as it did in the Old Testament, but God still speaks words into our lives that we are called to share with others through His Spirit. That word that says it's still useful for the church. It's still useful for the church. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 14 that you know this, this gift of, of tongues is it seems like more of this private prayer language and it builds up the individual. But the gift of prophecy, he says uh, in, in verse uh, 14.4, 14, 4, he says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. It's, it's concerned about the well-being of of the church and the building up of the church as we share life together. And when I say church, I mean anywhere where two or more gather. That God's with us and we're the church. We're the people of God. So we define prophecy as this. Telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. And it seems like this hasn't died. Now, lastly, prophecies must be weighed because they might be wrong. Right? Right? Maybe you've had this experience before. I, I can think about um, a guy that came to me uh, in, in uh, uh, junior or senior year of high school, maybe freshman year of college, and he says, I think that you're going to be a pastor. I think, I think that's something that, 
Maybe the Holy Spirit is showing me. And he came to me in a very private and personal way and just said, you know, take it or leave it. Um, but, but I just feel that's the case. And at the time, I was not on a road for that. And so I threw that out. So that can't be right. I didn't tell anybody else about it though, right? I just said that can't be right. And God began to work and shape and, and, and guide me to the place that I'm at today. I also had uh, someone tell me uh, in Indiana that I shouldn't plant a church. That that's not God's will for your life. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. So I took it to a few people and they said, yeah, it doesn't make sense to us. So I just, just let it go. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20-21 says this, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. That's the line we walk, church. Don't despise it when someone comes to you and you're in fellowship with them and they share something with you. Absorb it. But test it with others, with the church, and hold fast um, to what is good. So here's some guiding principles for prophecy in the church. Just four things. And, and we can really, the way that prophecy kind of is, the way I see it in the church, is that it's just, it's, 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 it's more than exhortation, but it's certainly not what it was. The questions that we can ask if someone says that they have a word for us in, fellow, in, in, a, in a small group that we're having or something like that, and, and I would just say this, I'm just going to, if, if the miraculous gifts such as tongues or, uh, or prophecy were to, to come in our corporate worship gathering, um, one, we, when we see in the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 14, that worship is to be decently in order. That's not, we, we read that as that's not a part of corporate worship for us. So that's the reason why we take the stance that we do on that, that it's more of a, a private language. As for prophecy, we would say if you think you've got a word for the church, then the appropriate channel would be to go talk to the elders that God has instilled uh, and God has brought to lead this church. And then those guys weigh that out. Um, but it's not something you just blurt out because worship is supposed to be decently in order as the Scriptures say. And so that's what, we, that's what we strive to do is to be led by the Spirit but to have order to the worship that we do. So, so kind of the guiding principles for this, I think, are this. Um, does this word that I've received, does it edify? Does it build up the church? If it doesn't build up the church... Um, then it's not from God. Because the Scriptures say that prophecy builds up the church. Secondly, does this word agree with Scripture? For instance, I had someone tell me, okay, I know when Jesus is going to come back, I read this. I said, you don't even have to tell me the book. I know you're lying. But why? Because the Scriptures say that no one knows the time. No one knows the day. No one knows the hour. I wasn't trying to be a jerk, but it's just, I, why even? It's not, it's not from God. Do others agree this word is from God? It's where you weigh it out. The First Thessalonians 5. And fourthly, was this word presented with humility? So that guy that came up to me and he said, hey man, I, I just, I don't know, I just think that God might be calling you into ministry to preach. He came to me humbly and I kind of tucked it away, kind of threw it aside, but I remember it and now it kind of makes sense and I probably should be a little bit more apt to listen to people when they come to me, right? Um, so I want to close just by saying this. The Spirit gives gifts that build up and unify the fractured people of God. And we desperately need to be unified because we are fractured from the fall. And the Holy Spirit has come to make us whole. And there are no extra pieces, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your body, for Your Spirit. Um, we thank You for Your Word that guides us. It keeps us out of danger, God. 
And we thank You that the Holy Spirit has power and that You have gifted us in an unmerited fashion to build up Your body because You love it so much. And so Lord, I just even begin to, to wonder what, it, what might it look like for us to care about the church and, you know, in just different parts of Lawrenceville, different parts of Gwinnett, different parts of Atlanta, different parts of the United States, different parts of the world. As we saw the prophet Agabus coming from Jerusalem and the Jerusalem church thinking about the Antioch church and the Antioch church caring for the church in Judea, what would that look like for us? We began to see the church and the gifts of the church from a big C perspective. That you love your people and you've come to make them whole. So Jesus, lead us deeper into that today. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.